And so I just appreciate you guys being here and making effort to be here. Um, so we're going to be looking at the book of Acts again. And uh, if you don't know, um, if you don't have a Bible in your hand, you can go to, to your maybe a phone app that you might have, pull it out, and go to Acts chapter 3. And we're going to look at some verses there. And this is one of my favorite stories in this whole book. It's a very simple story, but one of my favorite stories in the, in the whole book of Acts. Um, if you're kind of new to the Bible, um, the book of Acts is right after the Gospels. It's in the New, new Testament and uh, sort of the latter half of the Bible. And um, this is sort of after Jesus has ascended and left the earth and his disciples are there. And they're kind of waiting for what's next. And he's uh, sent them the Holy Spirit to empower them to go do ministry and to spread his gospel all over the world. So um, we, we, in week one, we talked about why we chose the book. And you really see the gospel movement that's empowered by the Holy Spirit um, throughout this part of the world. And then, uh, of course, written by Luke. He was not one of the 12 disciples. He was a doctor. And he kind of did his research like a modern-day reporter would do. So a modern-day reporter who did not, who wasn't an eyewitness to an event, what they would do is, that, is they would you know, go and interview people and say, hey, what did you see? Hey, what did you see? What did you see? And then put the stories together, and they write their, their article or whatever they're going to write. That's kind of how Luke did his, his work. And so he wasn't an eyewitness to everything Jesus did himself, but, um, but he talked to people that were and put those things together into the book, in the books of Luke and also the book of Acts. And uh, many think he actually talked to Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well. Um, a few things that I think are really important about the book of Acts, it, this book shows the messiness of the church, but also how the, the disciples did not abandon the church. Um, they fought for it, but also um, shows how the good news about Jesus is for everyone, rich, poor, educated, uneducated. So whatever your background is, whatever your story is, you need to know that Jesus um, wants a relationship with you, and, uh, and he died for everyone, and so he offers that, uh, his, his you know, eternal life for everyone. And then it also shows the reality of suffering in the lives of believers. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 3, uh, looking at verse 1, and we're going to read to verse 10 right now. So it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as, as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Okay, so Peter and John, they're going up uh, to the temple to pray. And they notice this crippled man off to the side asking for money. And I think sometimes we forget that. Uh, the people that we read about in the Bible, they're real people. We forget to like imagine them as real people. They have a real childhood, a real life. And so I want you to imagine for a few minutes this man's life, what it must have been like. He's been crippled since his birth. He's now in his 40s. And so the first year of his life 
was probably like every other infant, because no, no infant can, can walk or even really crawl until they're close to the age of one. But at year one, as others are beginning to crawl and walk that are around his age, his parents begin to notice something, that something's not quite right with him. Like I think of my own kids when, like when they first walked. I think I actually have on, on video um, the first time that Landon crawled. I was with a video camera. And it wasn't my, I didn't have a phone back then that had a video camera on. It was so long ago. But I had a video camera, and he was, I could tell he was getting close to crawling. And, and Courtney's at work, and I wanted to capture the moment on video. And so, sure enough, he, like, gets up, and he starts just crawling towards, he really wanted to see the camera. He was going after the camera. And I'm using the camera as, like, bait. I'm like, come on, come on, come on, come on. And he's, like, crawling after, he starts crawling. I'm like, he's crawling, he's crawling. And then later on, I think I got um, one of the two of them, on video like the first time they ever walked because Courtney missed that too and so I wanted to make sure she got it so we got a video but you can see how how parents celebrate when their kid like their little one-year-old does something so simple like walk for the first time well these parents they never got to experience that they never got to see their kid like take those first steps and so as as his friends and the kids around him begin doing those things, they realize something's not quite right with, with our son. And so as he grows, his parents have to carry him everywhere, which might be okay when you're two or three and kind of light, but when you're like five and six and you start getting heavier, it's like that's a, that's a chore, right? That's a big deal. And uh, so over time, you can imagine how his life became, became kind of isolated because of his disability. Um, moments of isolation would grow longer and more frequent as kids would gather for games he's always the one left out he just watched from the sidelines and couldn't join in he always always had to ask someone to get him food or drink he couldn't do it for himself if he wants to go anywhere someone has to pick him up and take him they would carry this man on a mat and it was probably caked with dirt and mud which is just dirty and feels dehumanizing right like I think of when I was in college, I worked at this place. Um, it was like a golf club, but they had this restaurant. I worked in the restaurant, and they had this upstairs room that there was no elevator. You had to walk up the stairs. Well, there was this one meeting that happened every week in this location, and I forget what it was for, but it was like a bunch of businessmen would get together. And one of the guys was in a wheelchair and had to be car- and, and here's what we had to do. And this is crazy thinking back on this because if we, if we dropped this guy – we would have gotten sued, I'm sure of it. But we had to carry, so me and another guy who was a waiter had to pick this guy up and take him up the stairs, okay, and, and put him in another wheelchair at the top of the stairs so he could go and be a part of this meeting. We did it every single week, and I was terrified I was going to drop this guy down the stairs, right? But you could tell whenever we did this for this guy, every single time you could tell he was just apologizing, like, I'm sorry, guys, I'm sorry you have to do this, and we're like, no, no, no big deal. But you can, you can just tell that he felt like he was a burden to us. He felt that. We didn't feel that. He felt that. That's how this man must have felt. He must have felt like he was a burden to the people that are having to carry him around and stuff. So his whole life is centered around his crippled state, and his biggest concern each day is, is can he beg for enough money to buy food? That's his number one thing every day is, can I get enough money today to buy food for today? His only interaction with people is when they walk by and they just toss him money. Every day he positions himself 
by the gate, and he's positioned himself by this thing called the beautiful gate, and this is the gate that would go into what's called the woman's court at the temple, because they worshiped in a certain area of the temple. And this man knows where to find compassion, because everyone knows that women are more compassionate than men, right? Um, That is true. Um, If you look at my wife and me, you will know that women are more compassionate than men. If she sees a stray dog, like it, guys, it goes bad. Like it, like she will pull over, she will coax the dog like into her car and take it home and feed it, give it water and pet it and everything. And then maybe eventually call the number on the tag. But um, usually she'll just be like, it followed me home. And I'm like, no, it didn't. You coaxed it into your car. I know how this works. And, uh, but then me, if I see a stray dog, I'm just like, there's a stray dog. Zzz, keep driving, right? That's, that's how it is. So this man knows where to find compassion. So he, he's, he puts himself right out there where the women are so he can get compassion. And... Uh, so some people walk by him, they, they show compassion, but others just ignore him. They give him no eye contact. But this day's a little bit different, because Peter and John walk by, and this man asks for money, and they stop, and they look at him, and they say, they say, look at us, which says to me, this man felt shame, probably had his hand out, but his head down, not looking at anybody. But Peter and John, they notice him, and on their way to do this spiritual activity to go pray in the temple, they take notice of this man. And I think sometimes you and I do the opposite where we're going to do something spiritual, quote unquote, and we ignore the needs around us. We're so spiritually busy that we ignore the needs around us. That was not the case here. These two men decided to stop and, and, and talk to this man. And they don't, they don't just stop and talk to him or just give him money like he wants. They give him much more than he's asking for. They heal this guy. So Peter takes him by the hand, pulls him up, and this man goes leaping into the temple courts. And so what is this miracle really about? Well, miracles are never just miracles. Like when Jesus did miracles, he never did miracles just to show off his power. They had a spiritual point. You never saw Jesus just do something to be like, hey, guys, watch this. I can make that Pharisee levitate. Boom. Like that doesn't, that's not how he did miracles. Like he did miracles with a spiritual purpose. There was there were always like a picture that he's painting for everyone. So it's why when he feeds the 5,000, um, the bread, and it just divides and divides and divides. Um, what's he talking? He talks about himself being the bread of life after that miracle. And then after he heals a blind man, talks about spiritual blindness. So there's always a point to a miracle. And so this man is born lame, unable to walk. His entire life is defined by his crippled state. He is impoverished. He is bankrupt. He can't offer anyone anything, but then he's suddenly changed. And so what does that sound like? Well, that sounds like my story, and it sounds like your story. You see, it's a picture. What happens to this man is a picture of the gospel, because you and I are born into sin, and we're born lame, unable to walk spiritually. We are impoverished. We can't offer God anything, but then God does what? God miraculously changes us. So this miracle is a picture of something deeper. So this man asks for money, just a little bit to improve his situation, but then he gets healed instead. He only asks for what he thinks he needs, but he gets more than he asks for. And so whenever, I think this applies to you and I, whenever you and I come to God sometimes and say, God, can you just, can you just change my circumstances? 
And God says, well, how about I change you? Like you and I ask for surface level things all the time and God says, well, how about I change your life? How about I transform your life? And that's what happens to this man. So you and I think sometimes if I just had more money or this relationship or more success or more popularity, I'd be happy. But that stuff, that's just surface stuff. That's just like silver and gold. That's, that's like loose change, like what this man's asking for. But Jesus wants to transform you and from the inside out. So this miracle creates this really big stir. I'm going to summarize part of this chapter. And there's this crowd that rushes toward them to see this man. Because everyone knows this man as the poor guy at the front of the temple who just asked people for money. That's what they know him as. So Peter doesn't let the opportunity pass him by. So since there's a crowd, and since Peter's a big mouth, he's like, I'm going to preach a sermon. So if you're going to preach a sermon, it's always good to start with a miracle, right? That's, that kind of gets a crowd together. So he starts off asking, Peter does, why are you staring at us? And then he says this to a crowd. So look at verse 13. So Peter, you can tell he's never intimidated. He's a big mouth, always running his mouth at people and stuff. And God used that for his glory. So look at verse 13. He says this to the crowd. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. So he's getting like pretty confrontational with this crowd and confronting them. Because the crowd were Jewish people that were guilty of sending Jesus to the cross. So he's confronting these people that are not believers. So do you see, I want you to see the significance of what he's saying. Because it's a really key word here. He's calling them out and he says, you denied Jesus, you rejected Jesus. But remember who's saying this? Who's saying this? Peter's saying this. So what did Peter do not too long ago? He denied Jesus, didn't he? He's the one that denied Jesus. So somebody could have screamed out from the crowd, well, you're a hypocrite, Peter, because you just recently denied that you even knew him, and now you're saying that we're, that we're denying him? So I want you to see this. What does that say about God? Well, it says that we serve a gracious God because Peter denied him, but now he's proclaiming him. Just the fact that God let him preach this sermon is a big deal. So my question to you is, do you allow sin to paralyze you from being used by God? Do you live like steeped in shame and condemnation because of sin in your past or maybe even in your present? You know, it's really good for us to take sin seriously, but it's also really good to take the cross seriously. It's also really good to take grace seriously. It's really good to take mercy seriously. So you don't just take your sin seriously and that's it. That leads to just shame, guilt, condemnation. But you let the seriousness of sin drive you to the grace and mercy of Jesus. Look, look down at verse 19. It says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. So let's summarize Peter's sermon real quick. He's basically saying, okay, so you're impressed with this miracle, like we just healed this guy from being crippled, and you guys are impressed with that, but y'all weren't impressed 
with Jesus because you killed him. You weren't impressed with the resurrection because you still don't believe. And so now he's invited them to repent and turn to Jesus. So as we close, I want to just highlight a couple things before you guys go to your discussion groups. So just as Peter invites these people to repent and turn to Jesus, we make that same invitation to you. Conviction has to come before conversion. So conviction is when you, you, you sense this. It's not the same thing as guilt. I mean, we can, someone can feel guilty and it not be the same as conviction. Conviction is about you seeing yourself correctly in light of who God is. That's conviction. And conviction needs to be there for there to be conversion. And like you turning your life over to Jesus, surrendering your life to him. So the question for you is, will you allow conviction about sin to lead you to the one who cleanses sin? Will you let the conviction about sin lead you to the one who cleanses that sin? And then something else I want to highlight is that Israel, Israel wanted this political Messiah to set them free from Rome. But Jesus wants to set Israel free from sin. And so Israel gets more than they asked for. The lame man just wants some money. But then these men, through the power of the Holy Spirit, they heal him. So this man gets more than he asked for. And I think so often you and I are just like that lame man. We're begging for some loose change. And God says, I've got some change for you, but it's not the kind of change you're thinking about. So you and I worship a God who wants to treat the deeper issue, not just the symptom. And so in what ways do we ask for silver or gold, but ignore the real work that God wants to do in our hearts and our lives? And then lastly, most of Jesus' miracles, they deal with suffering. And we forget like the real stories that are behind the miracles that we, we see or hear about in the Bible. Um, we, see a, we see blind people healed. We see here a lame man healed. Um, there's a story of a bleeding woman who's healed miraculously. Mirac- miracles are never just random displays of power. So if you are someone that you find yourself just overwhelmed with the idea of suffering, even right now, um, miracles serve as a great reminder for us that this is not the way things are supposed to be, and it's not the way things will always be. And so just let that sink in. If Wherever you're coming from right now, if, if you're just overwhelmed with suffering, just wherever it's hitting you, just understand that, that when you see these miracles in the Bible, this is like an inbreaking of God's kingdom that you see. And miracles remind us that it's not the way things are supposed to be, and it's not the way things will always be. And you can put your faith and trust in that truth. So what we're going to do, guys, we're going to have you guys um, go into, into some discussion. And I've got some discussion sheets up here for the leaders, or you may have them on your phone from when I sent the email earlier. If you need a hard copy, come grab it. We're going to go um, like two freshman groups back there behind that uh, brick wall thing. Um, one for guys, one for girls. And then generally, I think I've seen upperclassmen guys be like over here in this area. And I think sophomore girls tend to congregate right here in front of the baptismal. And then freshmen, I guess it's sophomore guys, tend to be over there. And then junior and senior girls, y'all seem to like that area over there. Is that okay? (laughs) 
Um, so if you're new and don't know where to go, then come ask me. I can tell you where to head to. Um, and you guys can head out and do your discussion. Leaders, I've got sheets up here for you. And if anyone needs bug spray, we have a lot of bug spray over there by the window. I just raised my hand to, see, to meet someone new. I didn't even want the card. But I'll take it. Take I didn't it. want it, but I'll take it. You can I'll have it. to my grandma for her 